Good evening, First Baptist Church family. I hope that you are resting well and that you are safe and healthy and everything is going well with your life. I'm so excited on tonight that uh, we have a very special guest. We had been off for the summer for Bible study, but we decided that since we've seen the numbers with COVID-19 begin to increase in our community, uh, we've had record-breaking numbers. We've gone from 190 to 192. On last Sunday, we saw a number that really shocked us of 256. And as if that were not enough, we recently saw 385 cases, giving us over a seven-day span roughly an average of about 180 or so cases each day. Uh, I thought it was wise at that point for us to come back and begin to talk to uh, our constituency, our congregation, and the city at large. I'm excited tonight that we have Dr. Bruce Randolph with us, who is the Shelby County Health Officer. He is a medical doctor and also holds an MPH uh, degree and serves as the health director for Shelby County. So I don't want to uh, go with a whole lot of introductions. He's a very well-qualified man, been in public health as a doctor and in public health for over 35 years. And so let's, and he's also a pastor. He's also an associate pastor. So it makes it real comfortable for me to have a conversation with him. Uh, he has triple duty assignments. He's health department and then he serves two churches as an associate pastor, one in Memphis and one in Arkansas. So thank you, Dr. Randolph, for being our guest on tonight. We're honored to have you. Uh, you want to say anything? Tell us a little bit about you and your work and all that you've done and all that you do. First of all, I want to just thank you, Pastor Norman, for the invitation and the opportunity to come and be a part of this program. Um, I'm a native Floridian. Okay. Born and raised in a small town called Live Oak, Florida, and uh, grew up um, working in the tobacco fields and playing football and going to church, right. and subsequently got a football scholarship at Tuskegee Institute now Tuskegee University. And from there, uh, upon graduation, went on the University of Florida for medical school mm -hmm. and John Hopkins University for uh, master's in public health. And then I did special training in occupational health at the University of Arkansas uh, in Oklahoma. And have been practicing in occupational medicine for 20 plus years before uh, going into public health. Uh, recently. I started out in public health some 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, we met on day one, uh, ground zero, and that was literally the first day we had a COVID case. Uh, we met that Sunday morning. I skipped church. We met at the Shelby County Health Department, and we began to learn about roles and what we would be doing, and we've worked together on a task force since that day, literally, to get us to where we are now. Uh, Dr. Randolph, you were one of the first people, and I want to drill straight down to what's important to us. You were one of the first people, if not the first, that I heard talking about the impact of COVID-19 on African-American people. Uh, tell us what COVID-19 is, what it does, and how it impacts African-American people, and why. You can talk all you want to. I'll just sit back and listen. Well... COVID-19 is the disease that is caused by a virus called novel coronavirus. Mm -hmm. The scientific name would be SARS-CoV-2. And that's because there's a SARS-CoV that uh, caused uh, SARS uh, earlier some years ago. Mm -hmm. So this coronavirus uh, is a new virus that has never affected man before. That's why we don't know a whole lot about it, and that's why many of us do not have any immunity to it. But this virus is uh, very contagious. It, it spreads through respiratory droplets that can occur when someone coughs, sneezes, shout, uh, talk loud, or sing. Um, and this virus appears to uh, manifest itself within 14, within two to 14 days after uh, one becomes infected with it. And it manifests itself in several ways. Uh, primarily, it can affect 
respiratory systems, but we're finding that it affects the heart, um, the liver, and uh, nervous system as well. Uh, and so one of the reasons why we find that um, among African-Americans, we appear to be suffering a higher rate of death is because we have some underlying medical problems. Uh, primarily, uh, when we look at our data, even here in Shelby County, we see that 80% uh, of the deaths that's associated with a comorbidity, it was cardiovascular disease. Now, cardiovascular disease is sort of a broad category because in it includes hypertension as well as heart disease and vascular disease, uh, hardening of the arteries, et cetera. Other comorbidities is diabetes. Mm -hmm. And diabetes seems to be associated with 30, 35% of the deaths, along with um, respiratory uh, disease uh, and also renal disease. And so when you look at those four comorbidities, which affect a lot of African-American population, because people who have hypertension or people who have diabetes tend to also have higher risk of cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, and uh, lung disease, especially things like uh, congestive heart failure and COPD. And so that's one of the, the reasons why my understanding of the disparity that exists yeah. uh, that I noticed uh, wasn't a surprise because most health problems uh, disproportionately affect African-American people because the health problems are really a reflection of other disparities that exist in our society. So in Shelby County, 54% of the population is African American, but a higher number in the 60s and 70% of the people who have COVID-19 fatalities are African American. So more people are dying in Shelby County disproportionately from African American, by and large. Right. When I look out over this congregation, an empty room tonight, mm -hmm. but I can, identify people who have had cancer that I prayed with, people who have heart issues, people who are on high blood pressure medicine. Am I putting them at risk by offering back in into mass number and potentially have an outbreak that could impact their lives? Yes, you would be putting them at the risk because let's look at the average congregation of the African-American church, Okay. right? Yeah. Um, Many of them are at least 55, 60 plus. Mm -hmm. Many have uh, some other underlying health issues ranging from obesity to diabetes, hypertension, arthritis, et cetera. Um, and the uh, issues are the way that we tend to worship yeah. is a closeness you know, shaking hands, hugging, et cetera, uh, singing. Remember I mentioned that shouting, singing, talking loud can spread the virus. Uh, and so uh, people with, uh, who are 65 and older with underlying health problems already, what would happen, they may not necessarily be at a greater risk of getting infected but if they get infected, they are at a greater risk of having complications wow. and dying. Thank you. That's, that's very that's, good. Yeah, that's important. That's, right. that's important. Yeah. So we, we're going to take that wisdom and we're going to use it because we don't want to put anybody at risk. I want to ask you some specific questions that okay. people have asked of us and they email some. Asymptomatic and symptomatic. Those, sounds like, those sound like real big terms. But they're, they're pretty easy to explain. Share with us what an asymptomatic person is and what a symptomatic person is, and what's the treatment of the two? Right. So a, um, 
a symptomatic person. If you notice, um, when you now enter into a building or your work, they ask you some questions. Are you having a fever? Are you having headaches, uh, muscle aches, sore throat, cough, shortness of breath, uh, you know, vomiting, nausea, diarrhea? Those are some symptoms that have been associated with the early onset of COVID-19. The more severe symptoms would be things like pneumonia and respiratory distress and you're not able to breathe because of subsequently having to go onto a ventilator. Um, whereas asymptomatic is simply a no, so no symptoms. And so that means that you are not having any of these uh, symptoms such as headache, fever, sore throat, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, any of those types of symptoms, but yet you are infected. You still have the virus, it's in you, and you are transmitting it, but you yourself are not sick from it. And that's the danger part, right? And so that's one of the dangers of even having um, a crowd of people coming together we know that within a given crowd, as much as 10% of the folk or more could be asymptomatic. Wow, so in any, so even if I brought in the 150 or 60 people that could fit in this room that holds 2,000, some of them could be asymptomatic, could be asymptomatic and we could still have an outbreak. Exactly. Wow. And, 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 pretty much, and that's our fear, and that's, that's why even if you're going to have members come back, you must do some screening up front to try to identify someone who may have that fever, uh, who may even have just some mild symptoms uh, to try to separate them out. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are individuals who walk around and especially young people. And see, and that's the problem. Young people are not affected by this virus like older people. Young people can get the virus and many of them, you know, may have some mild symptoms to none right. and go on and, you know, and, and do their thing, but they go home. You just said a very powerful thing. Yeah. I think we ought to slow that down and say yeah. it again. They can be infected, but not affected right. the same way. Exactly. So they can have a higher rate of infection right. or the same rate of infection, Exactly. but the effect is not the same. Not the same. Okay. Right. And so for them, you know, they uh, may have no symptoms, asymptomatic, or they may have mild symptoms and rebound from it and do fine. Mm -hmm. But they go home. Right. And mama and grandmama can get the virus. Right. Daddy or granddaddy can get it. And whereas the younger folks' immune system responded in such a way that they recovered, and an older person, uh, who also has some underlying health challenges already, then that virus become a greater burden for them to overcome. Yeah. And subsequently, uh, many die. But if daddy, let's, let's just say I'm daddy, mm -hmm. but if, if daddy lock you out, you can't give it to me, can you? No, if I can leave right. you, okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> separation. So, <laughs> separation. That's right. the key. So, so how would I treat this person? Do you, do, <clears throat> is the treatment the same? What do you treat with a, with a COVID person? I mean, because there is no medication. So, so there's no medication that actually kills or treat the virus, and there's no vaccine. So all this talk about when we get the vaccine. Well, if we get a vaccine, Within 18 months, that would be a, uh, a miracle, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, so what do you do? Well, you have to prevent the transmission of the virus. So if someone get infected with the virus, you have to isolate them, keep them away from everyone else for a minimal of 10 days. Mm. And within those 10 days, if they recover, symptoms are resolved, and they are without fever for three days, then we'll con we believe that they're no longer uh, infectious. Okay. Okay. Now, someone who's been exposed to that person who's infected, 
we call that a contact, that person has to go into quarantine. And quarantine, the difference between isolation and quarantine is that a person in isolation has the virus. They are a case, they're infected. A person in quarantine has been exposed, or may have been exposed, but do not have the infection yet. So we're set, we separate them because again, they could be infected, not having symptoms and infecting others. And we keep them in uh, quarantine for 14 days mm -hmm. because it takes anywhere from two to 14 days for this virus to manifest itself. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about the recent numbers that we've seen in Shelby County. Um, last Sunday, 256, shocking only to come back later to see 385 on one particular day, almost 400 cases on Saturday. Were you shocked when you saw those numbers? How did you react? Absolutely, yeah. Shocked and disappointed because I was, ho I was hoping that um, the citizens of Shelby County are really hearing our message right. of wearing your mask separating at least six feet, um, avoiding crowds, washing your hands, practicing good uh, uh, hygiene, clean and disinfect areas, because those are the only tools that we have. Um, so somewhat disappointed, hoping that we could move on, uh, but not absolutely surprised though, mm -hmm. because you know, when uh, Mother's Day weekend and Memorial Day folk uh, gathered and was crowded, and when that happened, transmission is going to occur. Right. So are we seeing impact from the protest, or is this just merely impact from the holidays that have taken place? I think that this is... Um, the holidays and just transmission is, we will soon start seeing whether or not the protests had any effect. Okay. Keep in mind, you know, think 14 days, right? right? Although a person can start showing some infection as early as two. On average, it's five to seven, but just kind of think, now, some promising news is that they sort of did a study uh, in other areas of the U.S. looking at those who were involved in the protests and testing them. I think some like 800 people right. or so. And of that 800, only one tested positive. So uh, that's good news in the sense that uh, many of those who are out protesting at least wore facial covering and masks. And that may even show greater uh, proof that wearing the facial covering uh, mask is very important in preventing the transmission of this virus. Okay. All right, I want to pivot a little bit. I have another question that came in about uh, research and research articles. Uh, is there any good work out here that is really solid I think this is from someone in our medical community here at the church um, that really wants to know more about how to gather good information. What do you believe and what do you cast out and throw aside? Well, of course, you know, um, the, the uh, CDC uh, would be a starting point in terms of looking at their references. References, okay. That, that most times, they're, whatever they write, they're going to reference some articles. Okay. Um, of course, the, and John Hopkins um, would be another place. To, now, are you to saying learn. that because you graduated from John Hopkins? Well, not necessarily, but most people would acknowledge that John, <laughs> right, right. John Hopkins is number one right. public health in the, in the country, right. although that's Harvard good. would argue that. But yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, if you, Morehouse would say otherwise, too, well, but. Well, and, Tus and Tuskegee. And Tuskegee, okay. you know, Of course. Of course. <laughs> we'll just get that in while we're talking. So with this data, with this information, uh, 8,094 confirmed cases 
in Shelby County. Talk to me about the 2,400 that are currently active. What does that mean for the population in general? Okay. And are all of those people uh, isolated somewhere? Um, not necessarily sort of explain to you what happens when you test positive. So uh, if you're uh, one of the fortunate ones and you test positive but you don't have, you're not sick enough to be in the hospital, mm -hmm. okay, which is the majority of the people. Right. Majority of the people who test positive uh, are not sick enough to require hospitalization. They go home and they self-monitor and they isolate and if they have fever, they treat their fever and uh, they recover in those 10 days or so, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. The health department are no is notified about all positive cases. We have an investigation team that will call that person, interview them, and find out who all they have been in touch uh, in contact with. Mm -hmm. And uh, those individuals who are identified as being contacts, they are also interviewed and instructed to go home and to be in quarantine. And so when you hear some of those numbers um, in terms of people who are cases these are some of the active cases. This would be a combination of people who are still at home in quarantine plus folk who may be hospitalized as well. Wow. Um, another question that was asked, and we, don't, we know that there's been some, some discussion on this, some that we say yes, some that say no. You've had COVID once. Can you have COVID twice? That question has not been completely answered yet. Okay. There have been reports of individuals who tested positive, got over it, tested negative, then later was tested again for whatever reason and tested positive. Did they get reinfected or was it a reactivation of the infection. Okay. We're still trying to learn which is which. Okay. Sort of like um, the herpes virus, right? You can get an active case of herpes. It manifests itself as the fever blisters. It heals up, goes away, uh, may not present itself for another year. Then when your immune system decreases, it manifests itself. Wow. Fever blisters is a good example. Wow. And so it's, you didn't necessarily get reinfected. Right. It's just that it's been reactivated. Okay. So we don't know if that's the way that this virus is going to work or whether or not you really get reinfected. Also, there's always the question, well, was the first test correct or not? Right? You know, yeah. because there's certain tests, there's a certain degree of false positivity or false negativity. Our hope is that when people get infected and recover, that they have immunity that protects them. That's why we do the antibody test. The antibody test tells us that a person has now um, proteins, antibodies, that will fight the virus. To what degree, we don't know. How long, we don't know. But uh, the hope is that, as we learn more, that it may be that there's people who've already been infected, didn't know they were infected, because their immune system was such that it was able to fight off the virus, and they were able to build up immunity without it manifesting in any symptoms. Wow. So our guest tonight is Dr. Bruce Randolph. He is with Shelby County Health Department. Um, I'm going to show you some information that you can find on the uh, Shelby County Health Department website. Uh, you can go there and get this information yourself. 
Uh, it has been updated and changed, and we're very thankful uh, for that, Dr. Randolph. I don't, I don't know, you know how you pushed to get it done, or if it was Dr. Househalter or whatever, but it's there. Uh, it was critical for me and for other members of our community um, that we wanted to know the race data that was, ha that was impacting people in Shelby County because we were hearing these numbers from around the country and you shared some and Dr. Househalter shared some and I think Dr. Dwight Dishman right. uh, shared some that was helpful to us. But now it's public mm -hmm. and we can go on the website. And so if you want to go to that website for just a moment, I think our staff has pulled it up and we can just look at a little bit of it uh, by case. It'll tell us the, uh, the number of people who are there. That's the case demographic. It shows that, that there's some young people getting this disease, uh, Dr. Uh, Randolph. It shows that they're, the leading group is between 25 and 34 that is being infected. Uh, they are not the group that's being impacted the greatest, but they are the group that leads in infections, following by the 35 uh, to 40 uh, group. Uh, so that's one of the slides. Go to the next slide. Uh, just as you pull them up, we'll discuss them. That's age demographic. Then there's another uh, slide as we uh, continue to move through them. I think, yeah, there we go. That's the case load, 8,094. Um, the positive number on that screen is we've tested over 100,000 in Shelby County, uh, 2,415 active cases, 5,515 recovered cases. That's good. Um, 210 recent, is that, that's our today's number, I believe, right. or uh, right. right there today we had 210 new cases. So we're coming out of a hot weekend where we had 385 on Saturday, another 210 on today. That's going to put us over the 500 mark just going into the three-day span or three- or four-day span. And then that death number of 164 deaths, of which about 90 to 100 of them are African-American that we recognize. Um, that's the number we want to you know, talk about because by and large, African-Americans are being impacted two to one in Shelby County, some places as high as 3.6 to one mm -hmm. around the globe or around the United States. Um, what would you say about just these numbers up here? What, where's the hope? Uh, where's the challenge? Well, a, a couple things. One is that when we look at those new uh, confirmed cases, we need to look at the rate mm -hmm. of the increase, right? So we look, it's 210 today, the other day it was 385, the other day, and if we average that, say, over a week's period of time, uh, now we're over 100 and something per day yeah. average, right? While back, we used to be at 50. Ah. So it's sort of gone 50, an average of 100. Now, you know, we're getting, um, over the last three days, almost an average of over 200. Right. So that's something to just keep track of. Yes, when we test more people, you're going to have more positive, but you got to see what has been that increase. Yeah. But more importantly, what is the positivity rate of the 100 people that you tested? How many tested positive? Mm. What percentage, right? And so when we, there, there's a graph that we have that shows that the positivity rate since we opened up uh, had increased from 4.5 to 5 to 6 to 7 to 8, 9, and at one point, I think last time it was checked, it was about uh, 11. Yeah, it got up as high as 12 percent yeah, at one point. Right. Yeah. And and so that's what causes me alarm because that tells me that there's transmission occurring. Yeah. And more people are getting infected. You know, <clears throat> our overall positivity rate cumulatively is still around 7.4, I think which is less than the national average, um, but it, it needs to be less than that. Okay. And, it, but, and it's also is increasing. It is increasing. Yeah. It is increasing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay, let's, let's put up another slide. 
I think we have a little bit more information to share um, on our, our case demographics. Here is COVID uh, by gender, by sex. It appears as though there are more women um, impacted than men. About 3,750, now by 52% of the cases have been women and a little less, about 48%, almost an even split. Uh, but what, what would you say on that one? I think that may be a reflection of more women getting tested. Okay. Just like women tend to go to the doctor more and what have you. Um, now, what we don't know, well, what the other slide is gonna show really is that when it comes to deaths, mm -hmm. there's a higher um, rate, a uh, higher number of deaths among males than females. Wow. So you got more cases, but females tend to get over or recover better than the males. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next one. Race. There's the big whammy right there. That long line at the top represents cases by race, uh, largely demonstrating that African-Americans are 50, rough, roughly 57%, and really because, they, because there's a large bracket of 25% that says other race, or sometimes unidentified in some cases, we recognize that that number could be lower, but it's about 57% at minimal uh, for what we're looking at it with African-American test cases. Is that right? That's right. Now, what, what is also alarming that other is uh, probably Hispanics. Wow. And so when we look at it by ethnicity, the uh, I'm looking here now, I think the rate is something like 27 percent. I remember in the early days, early March, yep. it was 5 percent or something like right. that. And so, uh, and that goes with nationally that uh, the Hispanic brothers and sisters are being infected by this virus uh, at uh, increasing rates too, especially when you think about what percentage of the population they make up in Memphis. Right, right, right. five or less, I think, somewhere Something around like that. And a lot of that, I think, is related to occupation, hmm. the type of work that, that uh, they're doing and the proximity of the work that they do uh, is probably a contributing factor. We want to look into that a little bit more. We need even more, we need to look at um, the uh, data uh, closer even when we're looking at the uh, deaths um, exactly What are some of these circumstances? Like, for example, hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. What percentage of the folk who show up at the emergency room who get admitted are black versus white versus what percentage of the folk that end up on ventilators? Mm -hmm. Break that down by demographics. What percentage of the folks? You know, and so we get a better picture. The other thing that you have to do when you're really comparing risk who's at greater risk, you really need to do, uh, look at things uh, in, in proportions, right? Uh, you need to actually do rates, so rates per 100,000. So you need to take those deaths right. and divide them by the population of wow. the group that you're concerned about, and you may find even a greater disparity. Wow. So there are people sending in questions, and while we're getting ready to put the next slide, this was a question that came in from Facebook Live. Uh, this is a person that wants the, what's the best kind of test to take for the virus? And so I know from, uh, I know from experience, there's one test that has a long swab, there's one that has a swab that's long, but it has more of a tip on the end that you don't have to go as far, um, then there's a, the, the blood test, but it only determines whether or not you've ever been impacted. Right. Uh, tell us about all of these types of tests that are out there, and then we'll put up another slide. So there, 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 there are two basic tests. Okay. The PCR, which actually is looking at the 
uh, genetic material of the virus, the nucleic acid of the virus. So that's the test that requires a, a specimen to be collected by inserting um, a uh, swab up your nose to the nasopharyngeal area, which is very uncomfortable. So now, the recommendation is you don't really have to go that far. You can go sort of halfway. Uh, you can go to the anterior aspect of the nose, and you get pretty much the same uh, level of sensitivity uh, as you would, and it doesn't cause as much uh, discomfort and complications. All right, so as I have been able to discern just from looking at the sinus passages and looking at all, nasopharyngeal is somewhere to the Way eye or above. above. Yeah. All right, and so below that would be in the midpoint of yeah. the nose right. or pharyngeal there. Is so, it the, uh, turbinate, term right, mid turbinate, turbinate. Yeah. Okay, so I don't have to go. All right, so don't one is more comfortable than the other. Exactly. Is one more accurate than the other? Well, the if if the test is performed correctly, the sensitivity of them are, are about the same. You know, maybe a percentage different or what have you. Um, that difference doesn't. Um, mean that you ought to have the more discomfort one for more right. accuracy, right? right. It's, it's not worth it. Oh, it's all right. Because we can get more people. I think there's quite a few people now who have heard about the discomfort of the test and pretty much are choosing not to get it unless they just absolutely have to. Listen, we tested this weekend here at the church, uh, and and until we put out the no, the notion, we I released a little tweet or something that mm -hmm. said we're using the more comfortable test. All of a sudden, the numbers shot up. Exactly. So yeah, I think right. that had a right. lot to do with it. Yeah. All right, we're gonna look at another slide here, but I think this one takes us a little bit closer into some other data that we'd like to share uh, and look at. Here are the fatalities. Um, we're getting here, and we're looking at the number of people uh, who out of the 7,000 plus individuals uh, who have been impacted, the oldest patient was 99. The youngest patient was 27. The average age is about 74. Uh, so that's what we're seeing on that level. But then there's another slide. Let's go to the next one on fatalities and demographics here. We begin to see by sex, as you mentioned earlier, more men than women. Uh, you said that, and that's, a, that's an accurate data, piece of data right there. Let's go to the next one. Here we are looking at the age groups. Uh, we see fewer deaths, obviously, but there have been a few uh, as young as 25 in that age group of 25 to 34, and then they go up from there. The numbers are higher as people get older, which says that person probably had some of those co comorbidities. Yes. All right, and they did not recover as well. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And and and, and there's uh, a couple of things that the slides we uh, have gone through points out. First of all, only 2.2 percent of the people who get infected die. Right. Okay. Which actually for us is much lower than the national average That's and, great. and in other areas. And then of that 2.2% who died, most of those are 25 and older. What do you attribute that to? The, well, again, young people respond differently. Uh, their immune system, uh, in general, they have um, uh, better health. You know, what, what about what about the, the low death rate? Oh, the, the low death rate, I, I think, is a uh, reflection of the uh, quality of our health care. Uh, and I think it's a reflection of our efforts to limit the number of people who've gotten infected. So, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that. I have seen a very well-coordinated effort led by the Shelby County Health Department, Shelby County Government, City of Memphis, and the health systems. Uh, every day there is communication and coordinated response 
there is task force assimilation and sharing of data, which helps to combat this and really uh, eradicate the virus as well as possible. So I have seen that, very good coordination. Right. I really uh, say hats off to the Shelby County Health Department for that because you, you and Dr. Househalter began, and I met Dr. Sweat the night before, mm -hmm. where he and I stayed at the hospital until one in the morning with the first patient. And so literally, the coordinated efforts between your team and galvanizing and putting a plan together has been good. So I've noticed that, that around the country, um, we have had the impact, but not the death rate. I right. think there are some cities that mirror the same impact of having 7,000 cases or so, but their death rate is 50 to 60 people higher than ours. Mm -hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with the coordinated health system response, yeah, as well as uh, mm -hmm. the health department. So kudos to your team. Well, uh, great you. work. I, I know y'all haven't been hearing a whole lot of folks say you're doing a good job <laughs> lately. So the people at First Baptist yeah. Church want to tell you yeah. thank you for doing a good job. Uh, let's go to another slide. I think that you wanted I mean, to say yeah, more. I say yeah, say more on that. To, and especially to the young people, yeah. When that, that slide about the deaths, yeah. right? So, right, so young folk, they're not dying from it. They're not really affected. But if you notice the uh, 65 and older, uh, almost 80% of the deaths occurring within that, that age group. Let's see if we can find that slide and put it back um, up there with the age groups up there in red. Yeah, that's it there. So you look and see that uh, where um, by age group, and then if you go to the percentages, and we can't even holler, can't see it from here, but you can just see where those deaths are occurring. Right. Ages. 25% um, are between 65 and 74. 75, yeah. 24% are 85 and older. 25% uh, between uh, yes, 75 yeah. to 84, 65 to 74, and 85 and older. Yes, so yeah. those are large numbers, and then they get into the 16% between 55, and then another um, uh, less than three over there, I guess, in 2%, and when you even get lower than that. So they, they shrink as you go down, but it is happening. Right, right, and the, 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 and the percentage of deaths um, increases you know, mortality increases with age anyway, right. in general, right? But this is another reason why you have to look at your congregation ah. and decide, okay, when we're gonna open up and how. Yeah. And who should be coming back? Because you can see, you know, so if you got a, a congregation that is predominantly um, 18 to 35, that congregation is at less risk certainly of the complications than if your congregation is primarily 55 and older. Yeah. Just based on age. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I recommend to churches as they begin to look at, okay, how can we uh, return to some uh, gathering? Look at your congregation. Do wow. an analysis. Very good. And see what, you know, what's the demographics? Right. You know, what's the age range? And that way, and then you may want to think out of the box and say, hey, maybe I should have a service for just a certain age group. Okay. And then maybe have a service where only just 65 and older okay. in a certain location or whatever. You just kind of, we're going to have to use our creativeness uh, to uh, come up with other ways to worship. Because uh, the traditional way that we used to worship uh, it's going to be uh, long and common. Long and common. Let's talk about that long and common situation. Do you think we are six months out, one year out from a vaccine? And if, if there were, I'm put you on the spot with this question, uh -huh. vaccine comes out in January, would you take it? I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> The doctor said he wouldn't take it. I mean, but 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 I have to. You gotta say no, nothing no, else, no, man. I have, <laughs> well, I have to qualify that. In the words of Luther Vandross, yeah. this man is a doctor. <laughs> this man sure enough is a doctor. Well, be, well, 
you know, I, I'm slow to take on uh, a lot of uh, innovations anyway right. because these 30-some years have shown me that something that started out to be the best thing ever, five years down the road, we find out it's the worst thing ever. Wow, wow. Uh, so, but I would have to look at the data closely before I would, you know, and that's, and that's the problem with the vaccination. Right. And the vaccine, I mean, there's a couple of things. It's one, is it safe? Is it effective? Is it affordable? And will it be accessible? You know, so, I mean, in America, we got Cadillac medicine, but everybody can't afford it. That's important. Right? It's not accessible to everybody. That's, That's why right. those disparities. Right, right, right. Right? And so, and that would be the same thing with the vaccine, unless, you know, the government is going to make it free to everybody. Well, you know, the COVID-19 test ain't free to everybody. Right, right. Speaking of that test not being free to everybody, someone asked the question, how can I get tested even if I have no symptoms? At the end of this, uh, I'm going to ask our staff to put it out for us, the testing sites that we can find on the Shelby County uh, Health Department website. I know that the Christ Community Clinic is conduct, uh, conducting tests right here on our campus. Uh, we had a free weekend of testing. I'm sure there will be more. Uh, but you can get tested even if you have no symptoms. In the early days, right. we were encouraging people who had symptoms, but now we're saying anyone should get anyone, tested. Right. And in the early days, that was because there was a shortage of tests right. and test supplies, et cetera. And then also, you wanted to uh, make sure that uh, your positivity rate. So if you're doing tests, you, you know, you, people who have symptoms are more likely to be positive than those who are not, right? right? Who, do, who do not have any symptoms. But now we need to have an idea of how many people just have been infected, period. Right? Yeah. So we can get, get what we call the prevalence right. uh, rate. And so now we're wanting to just test any and everybody. Uh, and because of the fact that we know that there are quite a few asymptomatic people walking around. Right. There's another slide that is obviously going to show us the true impact of what's happening with this death rate when it comes down to race. I think it was the next one following that. I want to put that up and then we have about uh, 10 minutes left. Okay. This is dealing with the fatalities by race. By and large, even before these numbers were completely updated today, African Americans were leading 90 to 48, roughly two to one, because as we look at other race and then unknown race uh, having two, that could possibly be included, other race being Hispanic possibly. I have had conversations with the funeral directors in Memphis, and you are aware of this because I mm -hmm. talked about it on the call. I think I even sent you an email. And they talked about feeling as if the numbers were even higher uh, from people who had possibly died from COVID-19 and possibly not been notified. And these were primarily African-American funeral uh, home directors. What would you say to that? That's possible because, you know, unless... So let's say, for, for example, someone dies at home mm -hmm. and they could have died from COVID, but you would, know that you would not have known that unless they were tested. Right. And um, it's not a routine practice to test every dead body. Right. So it could well have been um, those numbers may be underreported. We just had an, uh, an addendum made to the death number today, I believe mm -hmm. it was, by 11, was it or 10 or 11, no. that previous cases or previously uncertified cases mm -hmm. have now come back and been certified as COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the flip side of that, and, and, and I think it was uh, New York who was accused of this, that the numbers may have gotten inflated. Right because on the flip side of that, uh, you go to a home, find a dead body, and you conclude that, oh, it must be COVID, 
when in fact they could have died of a heart attack wow. or died of a stroke. Uh, even if they've gone to the hospital, especially since hospitals are testing, I think everybody on admission for the uh, COVID-19. Well, so someone comes in, COVID-19, they, they get tested, found to be positive for COVID-19, but what they came in for was because they was having chest pain, shortness of breath, and had a heart attack and died. Well, that gets coded as COVID-related death. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, um, so, 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 Dr. Bruce Randolph, Pastor Bruce Randolph, I'm about to get down to the part that we came for, our faith. Okay. How, as men of faith, leading people of faith, would you shepherd me as a pastor? Well, I, I, I lean on your uh, wisdom. I call you a lot. I email mm -hmm. you. I text you. Because you have the data. You have the knowledge. And I believe you are a man of faith and you uh, put yourself often in my shoes. Mm -hmm. A large mass gathering. All right? We've seen churches around the country. Mm -hmm. Some as close as Mississippi maybe even a few in Tennessee, who've had outbreaks. Right. Even when they were social distancing, mm -hmm. even when they were trying to follow the rules. How would you guide me on dealing with that? I think that um, first you would need to educate your congregation about what does it really mean to be faithful and true to your faith, and you choosing not to come to church when you are sick or ill is not a reflection of you not having faith in God. God hears our prayers in our bedroom. God hears us wherever we are. And so there, you know, though there's... Uh, um, joy and benefit of coming among the brothers and sisters and worshiping. Um, God is not just contained here in this building. Yeah. God is everywhere. And so I will start with, 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 with making folks understand that theology of faith that, you know, you sitting there at home listening to the sermon over the live stream, reading your Bible, uh, that is just as meaningful. It might be even more because you're not distracted by the crayon baby over in the corner. <laughs> you're not distracted right. by whatever. Right, right, right. right. That's true. And, 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 and so it, it, you use this as a time to really get more in tune with your personal relationship with God. Yeah. You know, uh, I would also encourage you to, to you know, let the folk know that um, if we examine the life of Jesus and what he did, whoever approached him, he dealt with their physical issues first and before he even dealt with the, the uh, you know, so you, the guy at the, you know, uh, the invalid at the pool. Yeah. Right? I know something yeah. about him. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. And, 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 and uh, many more. Yeah. Folks who were blind. Uh, he, dealt, he, 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 he dealt with that. And I say that to say that uh, as a minister, you protecting folks from a virus that can affect their physical bodies is consistent with the practice of our faith. Yeah. More importantly, um, Jesus teaches us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us mm -hmm. and to love others as we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, I wouldn't want anyone coughing in my face and they know they got COVID or they left the home husband, wife, brother, what have you, who is suffering from COVID, not coming to the church because they want to get their shot on 
Hallelujah. All right. <clears throat> to me, that's selfishness. Yeah. I would, if, I, if, if, if you wouldn't want me doing that to you, why would you expose that to someone else? Yeah. And, and those types of things, you know, and uh, manifestation of love is, uh, as Paul, you know, teaches us, you know, do no harm. Yeah. That's, that's part of that part manifestation. Of that. Right. And so encouraging people to be healthy, to um, separate, to stay home if you're ill or feeling sick, uh, if you are at risk, uh, is all in keeping with being a good shepherd. Yeah. Shepherd takes care of the sheep. Bless you. That yeah. helped me a lot. Bless you. Yeah. I'm going to ask you one more question. We're going to wrap it up. The isms of life. We are dealing with um, poverty that has demonstrated itself throughout this city for many years. We want to make decisions because that's been a dividing line. Uh, the number of kids that didn't have computers when this virus hit and all of a sudden had to learn from home who just didn't have the means to do it. Um, sexism has been a part of our society for years, men and women women not earning as much as men and doing the same job. Racism has reared its ugly head yet again. It's mm -hmm. been there, it's been talking right. all the time, right. but it got real bad here recently. Mm -hmm. Healthcare, there's this kind of classism thing that goes right. on. Some who have and some who don't have. As a pastor, I don't want to send a signal to the healthiest and wealthiest in my congregation that you're welcome and say to the sickest and the poorest who can't get access or don't have testing or whatever that you're not. Would I as a pastor send that signal to my congregation by saying those of you who are sick stay home, those of you who have not or cannot be tested if you whatever Stay home. Those of you who got the card that says you're clear, come on in. Is that consistent with what Jesus would do? Because Jesus said, the sick, bring them to me. Absolutely. He brought those people in Matthew 4. Right. So are we sending a signal in this society that COVID is about to separate us into classes or groups of people, not just at church. Right. Because as I go to the restaurants, I see the people who don't wear masks. I just right. drive on by. I don't mm -hmm. go in, but, mm -hmm. and then even in some of the places of business, there are some who figure, okay, well, all of us who can afford to be here, we don't, we're good, so we don't have to abide by the rules. We get to set our own. What's happening with our society when it comes to that? I'll let you just close us out with your thoughts and yeah. take us home. Well, one thing I want to say is that um, when people decided on what the demographics looked like, mm -hmm. the discussion about when we should open and how changed. Mm -hmm. And I would raise one question whether or not that the conversation would be the same if the demographics were different. Ah, oh. wow. Okay. That's yeah. just a question to throw out there, right? <sighs> we should have started we <laughs> right there. <laughs> right? But, but, it, 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 but to answer your question. Go back, go back, Dr. Randolph. Sometimes you have to press rewind. Sometimes when I'm preaching real good, I say, let me hit rewind and go back and say that again because it'll go right over your head. You'll catch it mm -hmm. on the way home. But if the demographics were different, maybe it would have been a different conversation. Yeah. Maybe the rate of speed for reopening wouldn't have been the same. I think so. Wow. Unfortunately, but I, I, I think, I mean, we look at the, uh, um, the history of this country, I think so. Wow. Yeah. I don't think, that the, I think that our approach would be different if you had rich, white, young folk dying versus old, black, colored, people of color dying. I mean, that's, that's a reality. My that's Lord. just the truth, right? My Lord. Um, but to, you know, and so that disparity between the haves and have-nots 
uh, is going to uh, become even more clear. Even in the area of education, what is happening, and if our community is not very careful, the educational gap that already existed mm -hmm. is going to widen even further. Yeah. Because as you had mentioned, you know, folk who had a computer online, there's nothing for them. Right. Right? But if you don't have a computer, that's an issue. Right. We have to start using this as an opportunity to think out of the box. Yeah. Even come worship. That's what I mentioned is that, um, no, you can't, you, you, you got to in some kind of way meet the spiritual needs of uh, your older congregation versus your younger. And which it may uh, involve uh, having a 65 plus worship service only. Mm -hmm. You're over 65, I mean, if you're under 65, you can't come. This is for the seniors. You know how you used to have senior day and senior choir right. or what have you. You may have to do something like that. Or make sure that your live streaming messages, you have some that specifically addressing their needs and issues to make sure that their worship service uh, is meaningful and their uh, spiritual needs are being met. Mm -hmm. uh, because you don't want uh, that um, separation in God's house uh, to exist. House divided among itself can't stand. There it is. Yeah. There it is. Dr. Randolph, you are a breath of fresh air uh, to this conversation. COVID-19 has had a, a tremendous impact on us. It, it has been devastating. We deal with it. You and I, I know you get tired of hearing it. Sometimes I do too, <laughs> but uh, it's a part of our new right. norm for the time. But when I, whenever I've talked to you, you've always been enlightening and encouraging, and you've always been factual and down earth. I appreciate mm -hmm. you. I appreciate well, your faith. You. I'm so glad to see your faith lead you in this process. I think you are a critical voice for this time in our community, a critical voice to help shepherd shepherds. Uh, we need knowledge and information so that we can do the right thing by the people that we lead. And we need it from people who are qualified to share it and know it. I so appreciate you. I thank you for spending this time with us. I know we didn't get to all of the questions. My congregation has a history of waiting until the, the uh, video is over to start <laughs> sending questions. I know they're going to start texting me and calling me on the way home and saying, I wish you had asked him mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But thank you for this time. And if we have to come back, uh, would you I'm, be willing to come uh, back? Of course. All yeah, right. This has been great. And they can always email me. You got my contact information. You, you, they don't, can, uh, you don't want to give out your contact information to this group of people because <laughs> they will email you. They will call you at home. They will do it. They will do it. Yeah. Right, so, yeah, but I'll get but, but, but we do have, you know, the Chevy TN um, website where you send in. Matter of fact, it's covid uh, uh, COVID at Chevy County, TNs, mm -hmm. uh, .gov, I think, something like that, where you can send in questions okay. and that type of thing, and me or someone I answer. You or someone. Well, yeah. That's about right. <laughs> right. Well, God bless you. I want you to do one thing before you sure. Would you pray for us? Oh, great. Yes. Yes. Shall we pray? Oh, gracious and merciful Father, we come first thanking you for another day, thanking you for another opportunity to get it right. We thank you, O oh God, for this gathering here where we're able to not only look at the data and look at the facts as it relates to this virus, but that we're able to fellowship and remember your power. Remember that regardless of how difficult things may be, that we know that you sit high, you look low and all power is in your hands and so God we just ask that you bless all those who participated through the live stream we thank you for Pastor Norman and the members of First Baptist Broad and God we just ask that you continue to be with us the citizens of Chevy County citizens of this state of this country and this nation be merciful upon us, 
forgive us of our sins, continue to bless us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, I feel you coming back to preach for us in here sometime <laughs> soon. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you, First Baptist, for tuning in on tonight. I so appreciate you. Please share this message. Call somebody. Go back and look at it over and over again. Circulate it to your friends. This is information we need to know. And remember, until we see each other again, we'll be fine again. And until uh, we get together, whatever, we, everything is going to be all right. God bless you. See you Sunday morning um, uh, at 8 a.m. on CW30. We missed this past Sunday, but we'll be back on. Got everything worked out. And then on the live stream at 10 a.m. right here from the sanctuary. God bless you.